with today's dating era, I mean, if we keep listening to true crime on a daily basis, we're going to have these thoughts that everybody is a murderer. Thus, nobody's going to go out on a date. And now it's it's becoming more so connected with this porn addiction because everybody's listened to this. And now what do we do? Do we say everybody's not an ex-murderer people? Like give somebody a chance? But then you do. Then that's the one time you do meet somebody. Who is an <laughs> You're listening to a podcast that encourages you to embrace your vulnerabilities and authentic self. This is your transformation station, and this is your host, Greg Favaza. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to your transformation station. Station, station. Hi. Hello. Oh. Stop with the microphone gregory step it now little bit billy all right there yes. we go how you doing doing all right got the can you can you hear me okay am i coming through yes okay perfect uh, where are you located i'm located in uh st louis missouri okay what about you uh the redwood forest in northern california that's badass. Uh, what is where is that near? Like, what's the closest city that I can try to Kentucky windage the idea of no, where you're at? Most people won't ever hear of. So the biggest city in the county is Eureka with twenty nine thousand people. Okay. You know, it's about five hours drive north of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and your accent? Are you originally from that area? No. <laughs> uh, I'm. I spent my first 21 years in the uh, Chicago suburbs, like an hour northwest of Chicago. Okay. With a cornfield on my street. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's badass. Okay. Definitely. No, I really like what you focus on. And um, I, I really can't wait to try to understand the... I won't, I won't say anything until it's this time to start. Okay. Uh, uh, Jessica Jordan, welcome to your Transformation Station. How are you doing? Doing pretty good this morning. Just... Uh, had a little uh, solo dance party to get myself all jazzed up. Hell yeah. What are we getting jazzed up for? <laughs> uh, the podcast, because I'm excited. And it wasn't jazz music. I don't really get very jazzed up on jazz music. It was more just like really cool percussion music that makes your body want to dance. <laughs> Excellent right there. I'm, I'm not a jazz fan myself either. Usually I'll kind of just crank out an audiobook and go with the flow of the, the rhythm of who's talking. Yes, here we go. Here we go. So you focused on uh, addiction, and now it has a specialty. But is the specialty? It's porn. Let's, I mean, let's just get that out there right now. Yeah. So the the audience won't have any like it, it won't. Let's see, <laughs> porn addiction is what we're going to look to. Sex, porn, uh, PTSD, near death experiences. Uh, lots of porn. So let's, so that's out of the way. It's not a, get the shock factor addressed and yeah, let you, uh, yeah. kind of help us here. Understand this. Yeah. Uh, so I'm a former wildlife biologist and now I have the world's most comprehensive and thorough porn addiction recovery program on the planet for men. And it's really essentially anything under the umbrella of any sex related addiction and any of my clients who come and work with me to recover from this it's very rare when someone has only one addiction they kind of come in you know multiples yes you know maybe they're also addictive addicted to alcohol or gaming or scrolling social media or an eating addiction or gambling online shopping like you name it cocaine like i've seen it all mm-hmm. and we address it holistically because otherwise if something isn't addressed holistically when someone you know quotes air quotes overcomes one addiction if they don't address it the root cause on the subconscious level they do what's called addiction switching or dopamine switching and i call it playing whack-a-mole with addiction addictive behaviors or substances and so why while i myself have never been addicted to pornography or really even cared much about it i did I was with a man for three years who was severely addicted to pornography, alcohol, 
you know, would casually do cocaine, all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And I myself had brain damage from a naturally occurring seafood neurotoxin back mm. in. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> There's, we could keep going and I, I don't want to jump into that just yet, but that, that is fascinating because there's a lot of questions I want to unpack and throw at you is, okay, wow. You haven't had the addiction, but you have seen it firsthand and that that's going to be relatable to our audience. It's relatable to me. Um, as far as understanding the addiction, it's not necessarily what the drug of choice is, but more so towards the chemical response that you are receiving within the brain when you are fantasizing about that drug or getting the drug of choice, or I should say vice. Yeah. And so essentially, I think that a lot of people might have a misconception about what addiction really even is. So I think putting a little bit more context and definition and clarity about that is really mm -hmm. important. So for starters, addiction is merely a symptom of unresolved childhood trauma. And most people who have childhood trauma are unaware of it because it's not some obvious bad thing that happened to you. We can talk more about that in a bit as well. I would love to. Yeah. And essentially, anyone who legitimately heals from addiction must absolutely heal from trauma. And we can call that unresolved emotional wounds in the past that are still residing in the subconscious mind and nervous system that have an effect in that individual until it's recovered, until it's healed. And so essentially, every addictive, uh, you know, choice or behavior or substance, it's not necessarily a pursuit of pleasure, but it's ultimately an escape from pain. It's an escapism behavior to escape the pain of the unresolved emotional wounds of the past that reside in the subconscious mind and nervous system. Um, the physical body is a grand extension of the subconscious mind. There's mm -hmm. that the issues are in the tissues and essentially, <laughs> and you got to feel it to heal it. When we escape, when we take those escapism choices, it's a distraction from yourself to not feel the true things that are really uncomfortable and unsettling. And when someone has unresolved trauma, it shows up in as anxiety or depression or numbness, mm -hmm. or you know, there can be insomnia. And with any wound, think of a physical wound on someone's body. It can be one of two ways extremely sensitive to the touch where a little a little touch will be very painful and you can say that that can be akin to extreme emotional sensitivity that is one avenue that trauma takes wow. when life is okay and that is yes. and that can be very very intense and unpleasant and the need to escape seems like the best choice at the time in that moment it's a these escapism behaviors and choices is called the adult security blanket. Porn in particular has been nicknamed the adult security blanket. But then what else can happen with a wound? It can get calloused and numbed over and doesn't feel anything. And so yes. these are people who they want to feel something in that addictive choice or behavior gives them that dopamine high to, so that they can at least feel something because they're totally numbed out to the world. And so these are the two avenues that um unresolved trauma can can cause in the subconscious mind of an individual either extreme Wait, so with these this numbness you're saying it's escapism or just escaping their reality but wouldn't it be like like I'm looking at it as an unconscious theme of layers of of stress that is essentially sitting on top of this person I'm thinking like it's just like coats, like they have like five coats on and each coat represents the the sexual abuse as a child, um, the being the PTSD from an incident in the military, like these different coats are just kind of putting on this lens of what you're doing in your day to day life. And that's essentially your ego. And that's being you're responding emotionally, but you don't have that awareness to see in the gap between the thoughts of what is really going on, but just taking in what your ego is saying and not having a moment of clarity. Exactly. I love what you said about the layers of the coats. 
Um, I've said like a clay ball, every time you have a stress response and you escape it and you don't resolve it, it's like a new layer of clay getting added on mm-hmm. and until you have this enormous ball of clay with all of the different layers yeah. that were added on. And every time we choose to escape, uh, it's essentially another layer getting added on while simultaneously lowering your ability to tolerate stress. So smaller and smaller stressors are a trigger into another escapism behavior. And so life can feel worse and worse with time because it's like you're putting on all those layers of coats or clay that are just weighing you down. And ultimately it's those, those things are not fun to explore and look at. It's that escapism behavior says, I don't want to look internally because when I do, it feels overwhelming and I don't know what to do with it. And so the only way I've learned how to cope with it is actually in a way that is self-destructive, but gets me through the moment, gets me through the day, but yes. ultimately makes it worse. That, so- okay. So with your um with your clientele, okay, you you focus with uh, the male. Have they reported to you or have you noticed within utilizing your practices that they choose partners that have similarities in their coping mechanisms. Cause I know I always choose somebody that has understand a previous situation that I have dealt with. Cause that's, I mean, you can't be with somebody who hasn't experienced what you've experienced or somewhat close to it. Cause then that trouble will always be haunting you and you want to have that closeness with somebody you potentially choose to date? Um, I would say with my clients, it's extremely rare that they have a partner that understands it because usually they have kept it. They're either usually single because their pornography addiction keeps them single or Mm -hmm. they're married and they are fearful that if they talk to their wife or their girlfriend or their fiance, that it's going to end in divorce or breakup. And so they hold it as a secret, Uh, Mm. like extreme fear of rejection, extreme emotions of shame. And what does the emotion of shame make a person want to do? Hide and be invisible. It is so hard to use your voice when you want to be invisible. And so, and I'll I'll add this one component uh, because I think it is important Mm -hmm. to to say. Um, So I, the brain damage that I had, triggered my brain into having something called hypersexuality disorder, which is essentially very, very extreme sexual urges. And so I didn't act out with pornography. It was more like real life partners or just white knuckling the urges and not acting on them. And it would be like a constant state of addiction withdrawal because I wasn't doing the healing, but I was like doing the enduring. And at that time, I wasn't even aware that it was um, an addiction that my body had had. Interesting. So how, how would, how would that come about? Like, I mean, I mean, yes, there's definitely understandings of people have higher sex drives and lower, but I mean, getting, uh, and, and you need to explain, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> So essentially, uh, and I know other people who've had chronic illnesses that triggered them into hypersexuality disorder. It wasn't like necessarily going out and making choices and decisions that escalated to, a, to an addiction. It was uh, the subconscious mind's way of trying to create a coping, a coping mechanism to try to create healing. And the reason why I think that hypersexuality disorder is created, one, in a lot of people who have um, chronic illnesses and especially head trauma is one of the neurochemicals that is required for both physical and emotional healing is oxytocin. And the activity that boosts oxytocin, like none other, is a sexual experience. So this is kind of my theory. I don't know if there's any ever been any research on this, but I'm thinking the innate wisdom of the subconscious mind says you need oxytocin to heal every part of who you are right now. So it creates a sexual ex- uh, deep desires for sexual experiences to go and elevate that oxytocin. But if that experience is not done in a healthy, safe, loving uh, capacity, then it just can be highly addictive and not sell it. It just, it's not healing. Interesting. And and another part of that is a lot of people with chronic illnesses, like I had, 
deal with kind of an identity crisis where it's, I used to look at myself as this way in life. And now this chronic illness took all of those things away from me. And I don't know how to feel like a valuable human being. And this is, I think is maybe more true in women. It's, I have super subconscious, super low subconscious self-worth and fear of rejection. How do I go and not get rejected? Go create a sexual experience out there in the real world. And that is a reminder to the subconscious mind that says, hey, look, I'm valuable and worth something. I didn't get rejected. But then it is extremely dangerous because that becomes the only way that the subconscious mind knows how to feel valuable. So ultimately, the addiction is being addicted to, to external validation-seeking behaviors through the sex, the sexual experience, which we can call the sexternal validation. Mm-hmm. I wanted to bring something up and it does not show. It's called the the inner work. It's an imitation of true freedom and lasting happiness by uh, uh, Matt and Ash. And it goes into what you're saying. And it, it talks about uh, the conscious themes that go on and that's linked to the root problems. And it, it, it specifically points out triggers, media choices, interests, and relates to it. But what you're addressing is that it's that there's an outlet for these wounds and it can be with sex addiction, with porn addiction, with other security blankets that are we're now uncovering. Mm -hmm. So my question is, did like why go from a biologist to this? (laughs) Yeah, it. It was not a conscious, rational thought. I'll start with that. Um, Back in 2019, I was doing a self-compassion meditation uh, because I was feeling pretty low about myself that day. And I had done this meditation many times. It was one by Dr. Joe Dispenza. Mm -hmm. And it had hit me in a new and different way that I had felt so full and whole and complete. My subconscious mind felt I felt innately valuable. Like I didn't need to rely on that external validation seeking behavior in order to feel like a valuable person on this planet. And even though, you know, before this meditation, I could rattle off with my conscious rational mind, all of the ways why I'm a valuable, you know, friend, family member, daughter, sister, aunt, member of society. But then my my subconscious mind felt a million light years away from that. And I was like, all right, I want to bridge the gap and feel what I consciously know to be true and bridge that gap. So my subconscious mind is in alignment with my conscious rational mind. So this meditation helped me with that. And it hit on such an amazing, powerful level that there was only one thing I wanted in that moment. And it was for every single human being on the planet to feel as amazing as I did in that moment. That elevating that subconscious self-worth and having that self-compassion and feeling it for the, that was, I had never felt it that strongly ever in my entire life. And then my subconscious mind presented a question to me in that moment. It said, who needs this the most? And then my subconscious mind presented an answer, men suffering from pornography addiction. And then I went, holy shit, I have actually like a really comprehensive in-depth solution <laughs> as I healed from my own adult PTSD, ciguatera uh, neurotoxin illness, brain damage, uh, all sorts of things. Uh, and I was healing from childhood trauma that I didn't learn about until I was in my 30s, when mm-hmm. all sorts of things. And it was in that moment, it was so obvious. And that was what feels like the moment I stepped into my life purpose. What feels like the greatest gift that the universe has ever handed to me is brain damage on a silver platter that toppled me into PTSD and sex addiction and, and all that, because as I was you know, like doctors and I went to see like all sorts of specialists, nobody could help me. So I became kind of neurotic on researching myself and um, just diving deep into the scientific literature on uh, neuroscience and neurobiology and the subconscious mind and the brain. Yes. And I created my own healing protocol. And it worked so phenomenally. I actually had other um, doctors and researchers reaching out to me when they themselves were 
were sick and hurting from the same neurotoxin illness I had. Um, I had licensed therapists reaching out to me for help when they were stuck with pornography addiction. And I was able to help them and church pastors and all these people. And I'm like, all right, I. <laughs> not, not Catholic pastors, right? Um, <laughs> actually, I think one, yes. <laughs> but, I don't know if I'm, I, that's, that's too funny. I'm, I like to insert a, some humor into the situation, which sometimes oh, yeah. could be accurate or not accurate, but I don't know. <laughs> Hey, so that's really yeah. that that's 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 crazy that this is what you've endured and now it's it's now becoming a gift to the world to help others. Now you mentioned trauma. Now I I've experienced trauma. Like I was sexually abused as a kid at 9 years old and that was something that I dissociated from and came out in situations when I was in the military. There was a, a situation and that right as I was getting out of the military and then I decided to go into that to understand it. And I figured the only way to address it was to go back to like to the ground zero where it happened, which was in like my parents' house where I stayed as a kid and then address the, the individual and tell him exactly how I felt and what was going on in my head. and that you don't have control over me. I mean, there was a part of me that wanted to just pop them with an AR, but I'm like, no, that's not the right way. Like there's, there's better ways to approach this. And I don't know, is that, is that kind of what we look at as far as addressing these traumas is to just rip it out of our soul and hold it in front of us and just say, wow, you are nothing. And you deserve to go back to the abuser. I'm good. Yeah, there's so much in there. First, there's so many layers of courage that you just shared with us about yourself. Just sharing that openly and publicly takes a lot of courage. And I just want to honor that. And that you confronted the individual who did this to you. That takes an incredible amount of bravery. Like, wow, I just want to, for real. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's not necessarily saying, holding it out and saying, this was nothing because it was absolutely something saying, I'm going to turn this from something that is hurting and I'm going to heal from it in such a profound way that as a result of my courageous healing journey, I am going to be made better as a result of it. I'm going to have so much more in-depth awareness of who I am as an individual it's going to require self-compassion. It's going to require forgiveness of the person who did that to you. And as a result of these things happening, the way that you show up in the world has this incredible ripple effect of goodness that automatically happens wherever you go with whoever you interact with. It forces you to become an upgraded individual for having gone through the experience and healing taking the healing challenge and leaning into that. Yes. And, no, keep going. Keep going. Yeah. No, yeah. I, so it's not just nothing. It's, but it is saying, I want to shift what this means in my life. I'm going to shift it from feeling like I am powerless to knowing that it was a gift when I heal from it in the most in-depth, thorough way. But the one I don't, want to be known as i don't want it to be like this is this is me i'm a survivor i don't want that i don't want to be defined by that what i look at it as that was an obstacle that i've overcame and those who are listening you can come you can overcome the same exact obstacle regardless of your sex and it starts with addressing the problem and sitting with it in front so yes yeah, yeah, sitting with it in front and seeing it and also feeling everything, allowing yourself and giving yourself permission to feel fully the full range of emotions that might show up as a result of what happened and not taking the escapism behavior route because it's impossible to heal when we escape from it because you got to feel it to heal it. And then there has to mm -hmm. be specific subconscious shifts that happen as a result. And what does that start with? 
developing a new narrative about that once you have addressed and gotten raw with the issue? Yes. The narrative that we create around it is absolutely important because we don't want to paint ourselves as a victim because then you will neurochemically have the emotions of a victim. And that's the opposite of self-empowerment. And Mm -hmm. it's impossible to heal when in that neurochemical state. And so you're exactly right about shifting the narrative, shifting the perspective in which we view the circumstance, in which we view ourselves. And instead of saying, woe is me for that happening to me, (laughs) saying, wow, what I experienced was truly and deeply terrifying and challenging. And I'm not going to deny that. And, and here's the and big all caps and, and I know that I have the strength and courage to heal from this and be better on the other side. So I was, I had a little chuckle there when you said, whoa, was me. Uh, I listened, I just actually finished an audiobook, uh, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. And he was like the last four hours of it, he kept saying, whoa, is me. Like, you don't need that shit. I'm like, I'm like, so it's, I I heard his voice in my head when you said it. So I just wanted to clarify that. And also that's a good book to listen to if you have free time, guys. So for healing equals vulnerability plus safety. Tell us about that. Yes. So healing equals vulnerability plus safety. I heard that from my breath coach, Brian Kelly, became a certified breath coach over the summer. And so ultimately, we have to define what safety means. So healing equals vulnerability plus safety. Uh, The safety component, it's okay. So like we're sitting here, you know, and wherever we are, like I'm sitting here at my home, I, my conscious rational mind knows I'm totally safe. There's no earthquake happening. It's California. (laughs) There's, you know, I'm looking over at my fireplace. It's safe. It's not a fire. Like it's going to, you know, there's not... Mm -hmm. We are safe, but just because someone is safe doesn't mean that internally they feel safe. If there's anxiety, that's Mm. the subconscious mind not feeling safe, for example. And so safety in the subconscious mind, it is a set of neurochemicals, primarily oxytocin with some serotonin in there. And Mm. so healing equals safety plus vulnerability or vulnerability plus safety. It's an equation. You can mix those. <laughs> and uh, so I say in both ways, uh, that safety part, it's a neurochemical concoction of feeling safe in your body with that elevated oxytocin and serotonin. Okay. And then that vulnerability part is, okay, I feel vulnerable sharing this story, for example. But when I am met with kindness, compassion, empathy, and understanding to an empathetic listener, ooh, now I internally feel safe. That's healing. That is that that is a healing moment. Healing equals safety plus vulnerability. And there doesn't necessarily have to be another empathetic listening ear. It can be uh, sometimes. This is a reason why all well-trained massage therapists know to prepare that whoever they're massaging could potentially bust out in an enormous emotional relief of tears and sobbing and loud and like, and just kind of go in fetal position. And it's a, a, the subconscious mind has that neurochemical concoction of safety. A massage will do that. And for some individuals that certain things have been so bottled up for so long, the moment that their body it feels safe enough while awake, the subconscious mind says, "Oh wow, we haven't felt this safe in years or maybe decades. This is our opportunity to let it out. Start crying." Wow. Okay. But like, what if they don't feel? What if they haven't cried in front of somebody, and all of a sudden, I, I just don't know. Like, if the body would naturally start hearing if you've always held it in because you thought that was socially acceptable or you didn't know what was so you would just like hold it in yeah that's extremely common extremely common especially one of the most unfair things that our society tells men is like you can't cry you can't express but ultimately what that's saying is 
you have to bottle it up and destroy your nervous system as a result. And you have to kind of destroy who you are and you have to repress a very authentic part of who you are. And if you express this authentic part of who you are, you're going to get belittled and shamed and yelled at or made fun of. And during that time, the subconscious mind then disengages and says, hmm, the only time we can uh, feel accepted or lovable is when we hide this authentic part of who we are, hide it. And then boom, that's trauma. The moment you disconnect from a real authentic part of who you are, that's the true root of uh, of trauma. If you've ever yes. heard that before. Yes. Not as eloquent as that, but wow. And yeah. And fuck those people that would actually look at you for having feelings. I mean, they have no understanding of themselves and they would hate to see somebody connect to oneself or to actually meet the highest point of self-actualization. So mm -hmm. they're holding you back from the very beginning when yeah. you talk to them. Yeah. And so one thing that I do with my clients is we talk about tears and crying and using your vocal cords in particular when you cry, because that adds a whole nother component. And to give yourself permission to cry, it's it's almost like bragging rights in my community. If you, if you're a man who cries and sharing it with the tribe, it's like, it's incredible. It's so healing for these men who have not cried in years and sometimes decades. And sometimes I hear stories of them saying like, I didn't even cry at my mom's funeral and I haven't cried since she died. And that was years ago wow. because they just, their subconscious mind doesn't feel safe enough to express what legitimately needs to be expressed in order to be, in order to emotionally heal, you got to feel it to heal it. Mm. So with working with their specific types, I know you work with teenagers and you do like a whitewater rafting or something out. So I used to in the past, I don't, okay. any, and that was in Alaska with Alaska crossings. And I would take them on 49 day wilderness expeditions in Alaska. Mm. And these were teenage teenagers or alcoholics, meth addicts, uh, high school dropouts, runaways, things mm. like that. And we would, it would be a wilderness therapy program. And it would uh, usually be about five weeks of ocean canoeing along the coast of uh, Alaska, the, all those thousands of islands that border British Columbia. Oh my gosh, we'd be canoeing with whales and all sorts of things. And then the last couple of weeks would be backpacking and we would be sleeping in a new location every night. And so I haven't done that actually since 2008, <laughs> but I, I didn't know that, you know, that was primarily my love of the wilderness, knowing that the wilderness is a powerful place to be no matter who you are and what experiences you've had. And so it just so happened that I worked with kids who were addicts, teenagers, and then I went and got my wildlife degree, became a wildlife biologist, ate the wrong batch of smoked canned oysters, got brain damage, PTSD, ciguatera neurotoxin illness, several years off of work, five-year recovery journey. Boom, here we are now. <laughs> that is a, a fantastic catch-up. I just wanted to point that out because that's, I mean, that's what I do. I will go to different parks. When I was living in Colorado, all over the place out there, I've, I've been all over and now back in Missouri. There's this place called Babbler Park where I go, take my dog, and leave my phone behind. I just disconnect and just just almost reconnect with the natural frequency of being outside. Yes. Nature is healing. Nature is medicine. And when you're out in the elements, you know, if it's raining out or if there's a storm or something happened. It doesn't matter how much, you know, cell service you have. It doesn't matter how much, you know, where we were, you didn't have access to those things. It was, let's let the wilderness teach us about consequences so we can learn how to make smart choices and then take that skill back into society when you reintegrate. Like, wow, my choices or lack of choices they all have consequences. They all have rewards or consequences. Yes. And also it, it connects to everything 
on our decision making, whether we realize it or not. But I, I've noticed in your work, you uh, you've helped veterans. Now, was there difficulty trying to address their issues? Because that, I mean, I feel like you're trying to go into solid steel because they train us not to feel anything, essentially, kind of desensitize us. Um, you know what? Everyone who I work with tends to trust and love the way that I present information and, and just takes it and adopts it. And it doesn't matter how old someone is, what caused the trauma, how long ago it was. Mm-hmm. The healing modalities are the same. And there's... And that's pretty much, you know, there's not a whole lot else to say about that. And so the reason why my clients say yes to me helping them is because they trust me with the process. And so that part's been relatively easy as far as here's the information. Here's a little bit about the science behind it so that you can have an intellectual knowledge, which helps you to emotionally trust the strategy that I'm presenting to you. That's about it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, how can our audience get in touch with you if they want to learn more? Yeah. So my website is selfcraftedking.com. Picture a crown, selfcraftedking.com. And as of right now, this might be changing. I'm not really a, a social media fan too much. And I mean, it is, it's addictive as well. And it's, yes. it's a escapism for most people who use it. And so I have a lot of reasons why I don't like to be on there. Like, so literally on my front page, it says, don't follow us on social media. Everything you need is right here. (laughs) And I I love that. It's refreshing because everyone's always trying to be like, follow me, follow me, click, like, follow me. Yes. Hit the bell, follow me. I'm like, just come to the source, selfcraftedking.com. And there's free information, free videos. You can access my online course for free and get started. Um, and that's the best place to go to self-crafted King. And the reason why it's King is for two reasons. A King has dominion and control over his own life. Yes. And a lot of people who have addiction feel like the addiction controls them and has control over them. So it's saying that thing no longer has control over my life. I have full control over my identity, my choices, my actions, my behaviors, my reactions, all of it. And the other reason why it's king is because all of us as individuals, when we are at our best, we naturally want to be of service to others. We are compelled to. We have this desperate need to want to be of service to others and to act on it. And that's also the the role of a king is to be of service to others. So as the, the healing journey takes place, it's mandatory to step into what your personal purpose is. And that always involves being of service to others in some way, in some way. And sometimes that just means, Hey, I want to be the best person I can, no matter who I come across and just present my best self in a way that's respectable and honoring. Yes. It's almost like the the law of attraction. You're, you're deciding to be this person for yourself and in return you will receive what you put out and yes it is a journey but would you the fact that it's addiction and you're on this journey and i feel like you could travel for miles and miles of healing and it, all it takes is one fuck up and you start back at ground zero ah uh, so it's not starting back at ground zero So for example, um, if say someone has an eating addiction and they're 200 pounds overweight and they said, all right, I'm never going to eat cake again. And maybe, you know, two years into their journey, they lost 200 pounds Mm -hmm. and then they ate one bite of cake at like a wedding that does not put them at ground zero. It doesn't mean that they unlearned all of those incredible things. It doesn't mean that they undid all those those hurdles they got past and gained all the self-awareness. It doesn't mean they gained 200 pounds. It's saying, hmm, I actually consider relapse a better 
word for relapse when done the right way is Mm -hmm. learning opportunity for growth and self-development because it's looking back and saying, hmm, what led to that? What is the domino effect of thoughts or behaviors that led to that choice? Let me take a deep look at what was going on. Was I feeling super stressed out? What, what was, was I feeling peer pressured? Like what was really going on? Let me take a look at that because when I do, I'm going to learn something new about myself. And when I learn that thing, it's going to help me to create an action plan because I have self-awareness and that self-awareness says, now I know how to make an action plan on that self-awareness so that if that same old trigger presents itself, I'm aware, I've lived it, I've mentally uh, dissected it, I understand it. And so when it shows up, I am ready to overcome it. Yes, no, that, that works. I like that. That was very well put. Now, if I if you can leave our audience with anything before I let you go, what would you tell them? Mm, I would say that most people who have trauma are unaware of the trauma. And most people who have an addiction, they're not aware that it is a symptom of unresolved trauma. And so to explore that and to read the book called The Body Keeps the Score. The Body Keeps the Score. That book is for everyone. That book is for everyone. The body keeps the score. And that is in the show notes. That's going to create so much self-awareness. And that self-awareness helps to create kindness and compassion. Kindness and compassion and self-forgiveness. And that that self-compassion. Self-compassion is the number one thing required to heal from addiction and trauma. Self-compassion allows us our, our neurology to feel safe and allows us to disconnect from the parts of who we are that we didn't feel safe with in the past and we disconnected from them. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. Just, I really do appreciate you coming on to your transformation station today. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor. Perfect. Uh, did you, were you able to get everything you wanted to share with the audience? Um, you know, I think the one other piece I would would share, would have shared is a little bit of defining what that trauma is because Oh my god. We can still we hey, we can keep this going and add it in yes. there. Yes. Yes. Well, I, I will want to make it like a special piece somehow put it I'm going to try to get it in there somehow. I I've been kind of it's been a while since I did a a interview so this is i'm shaking off some cobwebs so it's good we're good i'm usually a lot better than than this what it is but okay so like how would you how would you just like understand that like how would you understand the type if you're not aware first i would love to drop the name of dr gabor mate dr gabor mate is one of my heroes And he's helped me to understand and articulate this so much more. So I'm going to pretty much give cliff notes of what Dr. Gabor Mate has to say about what trauma is. And so we talked a little bit about how trauma is when a part of who we are gets disconnected Mm -hmm. from our, our self. And that's, you know, we hear that term, just be your authentic self, authentic self. Yeah. Embrace your vulnerabilities as your authentic self. Yeah. We say so. Yeah. But I feel like when that's getting thrown around, a lot of people don't really understand what it means to be your authentic self. They're like, fuck you, fuck everything. That's all. Yeah. And you're like, oh, if you don't, if you can't handle it, then you can't handle yourself. So it's, it's yeah. just, it's silly. <laughs> and so kind of anyone, for example, men or women who don't feel safe enough to cry, you are disconnected from a part of your authentic self because when you are like full and whole and complete, you can cry when you need to in the right circumstances circumstances and settings where it is indeed appropriate to cry. Uh, another one is healthy anger. A lot of people think that, oh, I'm so stoic for having healthy anger. Uh, stoicism, it's like a ticking time bomb. It's an emotional ticking time bomb because stoicism is holding in what needs to be expressed. I got it. All right. I got something that just came into mind. Okay. All right. So with crying when you need to cry, growing up, 
uh, one of my buddies, he had, he had a dog and the dog passed away mm-hmm. and he was upset. I was not upset. One, because I didn't have a dog growing up and my parents hated dogs for no reason. It's, well, they're, they're ADD. They don't, they believe that it makes a mess and it drives them crazy. I'm like, no, like, I don't understand. But now that I got a dog, Barley had her for five years. I love her to death. Trained her in German, Russian. She's always everywhere I go attached to the hip. And just the thought of it is making me want to ball right now. So we're not even going to think that. But at that time, I was confused. It's like, oh, do you still want to hang out? Like, no, my dog just died. Yeah. I can don't sit. Yeah. That's, you know, if your beliefs at that time with what you were told in your surroundings growing up, it, that dog had very, very little value to you, very Mm -hmm. little value. But to your friend, that dog had very high value, very high value. I wanted the dog though. I really wanted one, but just seeing that happen, it it didn't make sense to me as far as why, like I should be showing uh, like compassion if I even understood that when I was younger. I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's kind of maybe if we talk a little bit about uh, deepening that trauma and that disconnection from yourself, essentially that disconnection happens when you, a child goes to express themselves. Maybe it's healthy anger. Maybe it's Mm -hmm. yelling. Maybe it's crying. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's being belittled for being scared of something, being shamed. And the adult says, Oh, don't cry. Oh, like stop your anger. Stop this, stop that. And the adult who you are dependent on for survival a five-year-old needs an adult for survival. Mm-hmm. The so the subconscious mind of that child says, oh, I'm not allowed to express this part of who I am. And if I express this part of who I am, I'm unlovable. And the only way for me to survive is to be lovable. Therefore, I must hide and repress this authentic part of who I am. And this is why tears get repressed. Healthy anger gets repressed. All sorts of things get uh, being silly, being goofy, uh, whatever it is that in that household, or maybe it was an older sibling, or maybe it was a bully that lived down the street or in school or a teacher that did or said something. And now that's. And then top that off, the the individual is telling you to stop crying about a specific thing. They're probably doing the same thing that they're saying to stop doing. And that's what's even more confusion on top of all of that. Sometimes that's absolutely the case. Yes. Sometimes that's the case. And so now that child says, the only way for me to survive in this world is to be lovable. And I have to suppress that part of who I am. And it's, these are all subconscious decisions that are happening. It's not, it's not conscious awareness of it. And mm-hmm. now the subconscious mind of that individual feels insecure because it feel, it says, if I express the true version of who I am, I'm unlovable in that leads to not surviving in this world. And so how does it look like as an adult or even, you know, teenager or even young kid, there's anxiety, depression, emotional numbness, insomnia, um, acting out in school, all sorts of ways. And then it leads to the subconscious mind saying, I need to escape. Ooh, I found pornography. Ooh, I found cigarettes. Ooh, I found, ooh, I found vaping. (laughs) Ooh, I found Hell yeah. Oh, I found alcohol. It, it was socially acceptable in the military. I mean, it was cigarettes. I mean, that's what you do when you got to take a break. Otherwise, you're just going to keep working and working. And yes, I'm sticking to it right now. Yes, healthy choices. We're down to vaping. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, so um Porn addiction can lead to massive isolations for several reasons. Now, is that mm-hmm. related to just porn addiction, or is it the fact that these individuals already isolate in general, thus lead to porn addiction because that's their way of connectivity in today's digital era? Both can happen. So if someone was 
you know, socially active and had good friend group, but they got addicted to pornography, that there's multiple reasons why the pornography then can lead to massive self-isolation. One, going and binging out on pornography is going to have a neurochemical higher dopamine reward. And so the subconscious mind says, why would you go out and hang out with your friends or go out on a date when you can put significantly less effort in getting this higher dopamine reward? Do that instead. Stay home and self-isolate and get the reward that your subconscious mind is after. Less effort, higher neurochemical reward. So So, so let's go down that one. With today's dating era, I mean, if we keep listening to true crime on a daily basis, we're going to have these thoughts that everybody is a murderer, thus nobody's going to go out on a date. And now it's it's becoming more so connected with this porn addiction because everybody's listened to this. And now what do we do? Do we say everybody's not an ex-murderer, people? Like give somebody a chance? But then you do, then that's the one time you do meet somebody who is an ex <laughs> Well, I think the chances of meeting someone who's an axe murderer are pretty rare, but you're right. If you're listening to podcasts or TV shows where there's a lot of that happening, it's going to create a false perception of what's out there. And that false perception is going to alter your behaviors in a way that isn't serving you. It's not making your life better. You're living in fear and isolation mm-hmm. as a result. And so, so there's that. I mean, we have these specialized brain cells called mirror neurons That when we listen about something else happening to someone, we watch it, we read about it, our mirror neurons light up and say, oh, that could happen to me too. I'm kind of living it a little bit right now. And that will actually change our neurochemical concoction to give us a specific emotion to match what the other person is going through. Interesting. So now I'm going to say this. It's going to be really funny, but that's what I like to do. So when I get out of the military and I had that thought of addressing the root issue. Now, before I went home to confront the individual, I decided to take a different approach. And I thought maybe that I need to address the issue head on by seeking revenge on people that have done that to other boys, to other people. So it's like, do I want to be a serial killer to... a Against pedophiles, would that be socially acceptable? I mean, killing, no. But I guess addressing that issue, then yeah. But for me, what I saw was completely normal, was going after that type of individual. Now, did I murder anybody? No. But did I come close to the idea and act upon it? Yes. Because I thought that was what I needed to do. And then being in infantry as and mastering my job to standard and... All that fun stuff. I thought it was best to do that, but then coming to the realization before anything has uh, taken place, I decided to change my life completely, going to Texas, starting the podcast, then addressing the individual head on, and then sharing about it live. So watch out, people. There could be an axe murderer here. (laughs) There could be. And, you know, it's all of your, your thoughts and your, that is totally valid. I mean, what you experienced and those thoughts of like revenge and taking action and preventing the further damage of other kids who could potentially be Mm -hmm. hurt. I mean, your thoughts are, they're kind of spot on with that as a normal part of the healing journey, right? That, that is. That's healthy, <laughs> but let me let me backtrack. But not acting on not acting on causing inflicting pain or injury or death on another person, right? It's saying like, mm. well, what can I do to strategically prevent this from happening again? But then also, it, you know, if I'm living by anger or rage or resentment or whatever towards this person who did that, as long as I'm living by any stress emotion. I will not heal. Yes. That's exactly right. Yes. So it's ultimately is having compassion for the person who did that is the pinnacle of healing with that. When you have self-compassion and forgiveness and compassion for the person who did that, because 
almost every, not, not every time, but in most cases when there's an adult who does that, and this is not giving permission because it is horrible and it should never be done, is that person was almost for sure molested as a little kid. Yes. Almost for sure. And that was a, a deep, deep, deep subconscious learned behavior that they never healed from. And it came out in a really ugly, unfortunate, painful way that it affected you and possibly others. The abuse becomes the abuser. Yes. There's that saying, hurt people, hurt people. Mm -hmm. And it's there's that very real thing of generational trauma and people who have trauma pass trauma onto other people. And there's the breaking the chain. When you yourself heal from your own trauma, you no longer pass it on to other people. Because if you don't heal from it, you will pass it on to other people, especially if you're a parent. Yes. And that's... I'm a father of a two-year-old and that's where I'm trying to purge all of this as we go. And it's, I feel like it, like you address the issues and then life is happy and grand. No, I still feel like there, it, you take the nail out of the fence, the hole is still going to be there. Where since you have to continue to improve because it will be a part of you, you're just learning how to live life with that but minimal to nothing but it's still a memory it's still there so the fact that it happened is still there mm -hmm. if it's still painful it means you haven't healed from it and everyone yes. can heal from trauma so one of the biggest things that like when i was this was maybe back in 2017 or so when i was reading the book the body keeps the score because it was very obvious i had adult adult ptsd from this mm -hmm. neurotoxin. And I almost skipped over the section of the book about childhood trauma. And for some reason, I decided not to. I'm like, that doesn't pertain to me. And I, as I was reading through it, I went, holy shit, I have yes. childhood trauma. And in that moment, I felt totally broken. I felt totally isolated. I felt totally unfixable. And I just thought that it was this huge thing that I thought like I could never connect with anyone on and, and it's so rare to have. And there was major key components of information I was missing. One, anyone can heal from trauma. And two, it is so extremely widespread that most people who have trauma aren't aware of it because most trauma isn't caused by those very obvious things like being sexually molested or beaten or things. It's those are horrible events that a person has endured and experienced, but is not the most common way that people get trauma. The most common way people get trauma is when a child is expressing a very real part of who they are and they are made to feel unlovable as a result. They're not allowed to express healthy anger, healthy sadness, healthy screaming and all sorts of things are they're, they're and now they feel scared for expressing those things that and they don't have an emotionally available parent if one or both yes not emotionally available then there's one message that the subconscious mind can receive from that sweep it under the rug that's what the, yeah the, well the subconscious mind says oh i must not be lovable otherwise they would be there for me Otherwise, they would be there for me. They would hold me. They would make me feel better. They would give me the hug. They would say the kind words. They would tell me it's okay to feel that anger. It's okay to, to cry and let it out. Yeah, you just cry. You just let it out. I know it hurts right now. I know it's scary. I'm here with you. You just feel it. It's okay to feel it. It's strong. I know it's scary right now. And a child needs that. Their, their subconscious mind and the healthy development of like the emotional development, those things are required. And do you know how rare it is for a parent to act that way? It is so rare. And that's why the subconscious mind now feels insecure. Oh, I'm not lovable. They weren't there for me when I, when I thought they would be there. And so that's how the subconscious mind interprets it. And I learned this from Dr. Gabor Mate, who explains it so beautifully and so that creates a really big sense of insecurity in the subconscious mind. And now it shows up as anxiety, depression, that numbness, all sorts of things, right? And mm -hmm. now that desire to escape is really strong. And now addiction 
has a higher possibility. Yes. Okay. I mean, no to the bad stuff, but that's the try to that's the father I'm trying to be. So I try to be deliberate with all of the emotions and be there. It's like it's almost like OCD. But I want to go back where you said for healing, if I'm not fully healed. Now, let's say somebody was sexually abused and they know exactly where that spot was. Now, when you are fully capable of letting it go and forgiveness, now, can you go back to that spot where that occurred and then sit there and not allow a thought to come into your mind that could affect you? to see past that and know what they did wasn't personal, but was done to them and done to you because that's how the cycle starts. Now that's when you fully know that you have healed from that trauma. Um, Yeah. I wouldn't say that it's not affecting you. I'd say it's affecting you with a different emotion and no one, I would say no one has to go back to the physical place where they were harmed in order to heal. Um, and if you do go back and even you can just go back in your mind because the subconscious mind, does not know the difference between past, present, or future real or imaginary, real or imaginary to the subconscious mind. Everything is real and everything is right now. As long as you are thinking about it in that moment, which is why we have a physiological and emotional shift that happens just from our imagination. And so when the emotions shift to forgiveness of the person who did it for you, self-compassion and not feeling shame, not feeling anger, not feeling worthlessness, not feeling hopeless. Like when your emotions are not one of a stress response, but your emotions are one of elevated serotonin and oxytocin. That's, it can have a very strong, strong, powerful impact, but in a different emotional context. I like that. So would you like to add anything else before I let you <laughs> before I let you go again? Um, I feel pretty good about all of this. Um yeah, just if anyone is struggling from any porn or sex-related addiction, you can go to selfcraftedking.com and I have some free stuff on there for you. Uh, to just get to know me a little bit more, a uh, free introduction to my online course. I have different things in there. Um, and that's that's about it. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> I, I won't edit any of it. I'll just leave it how it is. I think that's, that's kind of how I like to do things. So I love that, it. Yes, that's perfect. Uh, so I will email you once I get it edited and have sound bites and stuff and hopefully you can share it on your end when i release it and uh, we'll go from there i will i will i have about ten thousand guys subscribed to my email list as of now so they'll all get it yes (laughs) ma'am thank you so much and i've enjoyed today's interview so i thoroughly enjoyed your questions very much thank you for giving me the platform and opportunity to speak about something that's so important to me and thank you for sharing your own personal vulnerable story yes ma'am perfect Yeah. yeah I'm not good at this buys kind of stuff. So I'm just be like, yeah, I do the same thing. I lead a group, um, bravery bootcamp group coaching every Monday night. And I always tell them, you guys have to go first. You know, I'm not good at good, good buys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just like, please just stop talking and just end the conversation and just, yeah, yeah that's the ADD. So, but yeah, Which- we will be in what? Can I add one more thing about ADD? Sure. Um, Dr. Gabor Mate has an amazing book on ADD. And most ADD is actually a, uh, ADD symptoms. Are there symptoms of unresolved trauma that show no up? Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Because that means we're more hyper observant to, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, to protect ourselves. Yes. To memorize the small details versus yes. the big. Sure. Yeah. That was amazing how you just made that connection. So amazing. It gave me goosebumps. Yes. No, I'm it's it's freaky. Like I'm very good at inductive and deductive reasoning. I see that. And some, yeah. And it's an empath thing, maybe. I don't know. 
usually the, the strongest empaths actually have childhood trauma and it's because you have to be so acutely tuned into the other person's emotions to attempt to get their intentions to protect yourself if needed. Uh, yes, that makes a lot more sense. Holy shit. Cause that's where it's like, you can almost anticipate someone's feeling before mm-hmm. it actually, Oh, I'll tell you what, like real quick, I'll say this, like having like a, like you're on a date and you're having a conversation with them. And I feel like as I say something, I know what's about to happen. And then the thought process, and then, I'm like, oh, you're going to say this. And then subconsciously, they haven't even came to terms yet. But then it comes out. I'm like, what? Yeah. And it's like, all right, this is awkward. Mm -hmm. I'll check, please. (laughs) You're not going to like me anymore. Yeah. I don't know. That's a form of emotional and social intelligence where it's your subconscious mind created that as a mandatory strategy for self-protection. Yes. Just in case. Just in case. Yeah, but now I feel like it's more of a burden because it's like the more you know, the more you hate the dating scene. (laughs) Well, you know, there's that saying, empaths got 99 problems and 90 of them are other people's. Yes, that is true. (laughs) That is very true. That's why we turn off the phone and then now we don't have to deal with it and then focus on self. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's really good. Yes. Yeah. All right, I'm, lo- I'm walking away now. Okay. All, All right. right. Thank Bye. you so much. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on this adventure of growth and discovery. If you're ready to achieve a sustainable transformation, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And hey, if you've enjoyed the show and want to support it, take a moment to leave a podcast review on Apple or your favorite podcast platform. Stay connected with us on social media for behind-the-scenes sneak peeks, inspiring quotes, and the latest updates. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Just search for YTS The Podcast. Until next time, remember, change is constant and transformation is inevitable. Embrace the journey and keep rocking your way towards a better you. Stay bold, stay curious, and stay true to yourself. See you next time on your Transformation Station.